0: Okay, the sound is okay, can I start? Namaste to all of you. Tonight, for the satsang, I'm going to make an extension of the yoga of the daily life. Long time ago, I had a series of lectures and even a short workshop, which we called Yoga in Daily Life, because it seemed to me that that was a very outstanding feature of real yoga, of authentic yoga. If you take this monkey yoga, which is practiced in the world, and you try to say yoga in daily life, You would say, um, I'm preparing to do something uh, more athletic, or I've been sitting in a car for three hours nonstop, and now I have to loosen my shoulders a little bit, you know? Yoga in daily life. Like what, since that yoga is a mechanical, muscular thing, the only way you can apply yoga in daily life is to apply yoga in daily life by loosening your joints... Or something, you know, ex- eliminating tension. Oh, I have a lot of tension in my back because I stayed in front of the computer, and therefore I'm going to take some ayengar props and just bend forward, arch backward. Great. Yoga in daily life. Yoga in daily life in such conditions means basically stretching. How to apply different levels of stretching in your daily life. Those of you who know real yoga, authentic yoga, genuine yoga, you know that yoga is something else. You know that yoga is developing in the human being a lot of skills, feeling the energy, by feeling the chakras, being able to control things in one's psychology, in one's physiology. And no, like if I have a very poor digestion one day, then I know that ten Nauli Kriyas or ten Udyanas and ten Nauli Kriyas will do something for that. So it's not only about psychology, but it's about physiology, processes in the body, and so many other things. No, we are now complaining about people's immunity. But Swami Shivananda Sarasvati, the second one, the Bengal one, the Calcutta one, he was sending his disciples to minister for, for villages in Bengal where people had cholera and other epidemics. And they were doing Sahaja Agnisara Dauti every morning and nawuli and so on because they knew that churning the lymph in the abdominal system and especially around Manipura is boosting the immune system three times over. Speak now about the paranoia with COVID. You know, who is coming and telling to people you should do exercises which enhance the power of your immune system three times over. Wouldn't that be a practical thing? So even physiological things are omitted or kind of forgotten conveniently. Not to mention about things of sleep, dreams, emotions, art of dying, lovemaking and a million other things which are existing in life out there. That's why it seemed to me that talking in the name of a yoga which is not just a stretching and which encompasses mind, energy, and so many other things in our life, including management of karma. So many things are there in the seven levels of the human being, that uh, I made a series of lectures in which I gave examples how in the daily life, in in a day, starting from morning till evening, there are so many opportunities of using the things of yoga. Recently, somebody asked about, okay, how do we deal with uh, these emotions produced by loneliness, by isolation, the fact that some people are afraid of uh, um, the coronavirus, for example, and so many other things. No, and then, basically, the whole question, the whole series of questions, somebody asked in the same way with relationships, the eternal subject, the eternal story with relationships, which in Tantra is one of the biggies, and one of the constant challenges. And, uh, therefore, ultimately the questions came very much at dealing with emotions, and dealing with New emotions, dealing with things which have not been mentioned in other workshops or satsangs. You know? Because, for example, you deal with emotions if somebody dear and near to you dies. Then you have the alternative to just become depressed and in pain. Uh, poor grandma has died and so on. Or you have the choice to stand up and perform the art of dying for 49 days for your grandma, because if you loved her so much, you are 100,000 times more efficient by performing the art of dying, rather than sitting and sulking in a corner, and being depressed by some uh, emotions, which are of no use really, In uh, like the process of grieving can be there, but the process of grieving is not supposed to paralyze us, and to make us inefficient. No, it's like um, uh, Jesus, for example, was not inefficient. To give a sort of an extreme example, he loved Lazarus. He was sad when he found out that Lazarus was dead, and then in the end, he took Lazarus out of the tomb. You know, that was the way Jesus responded to that emotion of grieving and loss. He did not just stay there and say, eh, "What can one do?" Uh, Poor Lazarus, and then I'm suffering so much, I miss him, you know that was not that's not what yogis would do, and that's why I thought about tonight going a little bit more because there's a lot of it happening in the world in tantra, in the yoga school, in many places, there is a lot about emotions, so I wanted to come from this standpoint from another angle. Of dealing with emotions. I remember I've spoken a couple of times, either in satsangs or in other lectures, about dealing with emotions. Like, for example, somebody reminded to me that when I made a commentary to the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali, there is a special sutra there where Patanjali briefly describes about dealing with emotions in his own style. It's just one alternative of it. And that's why I decided to speak about, you know, how to apply yoga in daily life, dealing with emotions. Of course, I'm looking at this from the perspective of a spiritual practitioner, but generally also illustrating the knowledge and the power of yoga. That's why I want to say from the very beginning that the yogis have always understood the power of emotions. I have had emotions in my life and sometimes very powerful Either they were negative emotions of fear and distress, or they were very powerful emotions of positive nature. Now, everybody has tried emotions of different kinds, and we all know that they are, as Krishna puts it in the Bhagavad Gita, emotions are comparable to strong horses, like strong horses attached to a chariot. If a horse gets wild and it pulls the chariot, it can crush it into small pieces if it runs with it here and there chaotically and bumps it against everything. like There is a lot of energy in the emotions. Out of such emotions, people to save their lives have done incredible stuff. Like they walked across Siberia and Gobi and Tibet and so on, like in that famous movie, The Way Home, where people escaping from Russian concentration camps and walking 10,000 kilometers just to save their lives. And I could uh, give more and more examples. And of course, we all know a mother loves her child. She can lift an incredible weight or she can stay without eating for long periods of time or she's not sleeping. She's not this and adjust just to love the baby, to feed the baby, to save the baby, to do. And, you know, a boyfriend can lose his life for his girlfriend. A girlfriend can lose her life for her boyfriend. The list is extremely long. And it shows that sometimes these horses are very strong. Like people can go, because of emotions, people can go to the point where they lose their lives. So powerful the emotions are that they can surpass our own instinct of conservation. And thus, yogis have always known that there is a lot of energy in the emotions. Most of them chose very devious ways of dealing with the emotions, so as not to confront them directly, but rather than exchanging them, trading them for something else. Others have taken a more frontal approach, and today in the modern world, the emotions are extremely at large. I will talk about that later. Therefore, the problem from a yogic standpoint is when these horses are out of control and they do whatever they want of you. And people say, uh, since one week I can't do my yoga practice. Uh, that's not true. If you are in a German concentration camp and there would be a machine gun on you and which says, if you don't do your padahastasana right now, we should... Then you would do your padahastasana. So if there would be an emotion stronger than your... I don't know why, I don't want, I cannot. And if there would be an emotion stronger than that, like fear, you would sit there quiet and do your padahastasana. And therefore, um, the problem is when these horses are out of control. You are going to damage that. There is no way to get that except you sitting closer to it, under it, where there is no current of air. Yeah. There is no way of... It has a mechanical limit. Move two meters back and you are not going to feel anything. So... The problem is not that the yogis don't know about emotions. Like some people think that in the world of yoga, especially traditional yoga, you would go to an ashram with Shankaracharya, with Swami Shivananda, with this, and they would be very very unemotional or anti-emotional environment. You cannot do this, you cannot do that, you cannot manifest like this, you cannot manifest like that. Uh, The problem is that most people are dominated by these horses, and Krishna uses it in this way. He says, your five senses create emotions, and those emotions are like horses which are out of control, and you want to sit here and think about who am I, and find your Atman, and meanwhile you are horny, you are angry, you are depressed, you are this, you are that, you are bored, you are whatever. There are a hundred emotions, and then you cannot do it. No? And then you cannot think, meditate, go deep to find who am I because of emotions. Then the emotions become a disturbance. They become a screen in between you and finding what you want, achieving what you want. And that's why, again, the simplified version was very often not, not this emotion, not this emotion, not that emotion. So if we have a hundred emotions, there are maybe five which are okay, such as love for God, devotion, humbleness, surrender, this courage, his spiritual heroism, you know. And there are 10 which are okay, and 90 which are on the blacklist, and none of them are. Is allowed because they would spoil your meditation, they would spoil your spiritual practice, and all that. So that's why the story in yoga, which is such a precise science, is actually to analyze them a little bit and to see what is what. And I would say from the very beginning that some emotions, many of them, start actually from people's primitive brain. There is the stem, the amygdala, the hypothalamus, and others, which are structures of the primitive brain, the so-called reptilian brain. And these emotions are extremely strong. There can be a fighter of Kung Fu or Karate who gets into a brawl which threatens his life, And then he paralyzes. It's well known. Like it's studied by the commando troops from all the military. That when you surpass a certain level of fear, then all your knowledge about fighting, martial arts and so on, goes completely down. It disappears. It is called in the self-defense science and in the martial arts, it is called the black zone. There is a zone when the amygdala and the hypothalamus take over and the others. No. And then you cannot do flick-flags, you cannot do karate movements because the muscles become tensed and they go in pairs of groups, both of them contracted, and then the only thing which you can do is very simple movements. And that's why the real self-defense when they study Self-defense in the military, the commandos which are hired to assassinate people to go and do things, they learn ways to skip that by cultivating only very simple movements, because the complicated movements you would not be able to perform them when some level is surpassed in the brain. So it is known that such reactions are extremely strong, like when you are afraid for your life, and panic terribly, a lot of theories and a lot of things, they simply don't function. They are completely not valid. Everything which you have learned is completely forgotten. We could say, for those of you who like computer analogies, that these are almost like imprinted in the hardware of your body. Like, remember that there are things which are not acquired. Like a little cub a calf from a cow or a cub from a deer, from an antelope, is being born. Five minutes later it learns to stand up and then it goes to the breast of the mother and starts sucking milk. But nobody taught that little animal, its brain it's virgin, it's like an unformatted hard drive. And nobody taught that baby that the milk comes from that place between the legs of his mother. So how does he know? No, that is hardwired. It's simply in the hardware. It's ingrained in the brain. Exactly, for those of you who like computer analogies, exactly like the BIOS in a computer or other things. They are there from the very beginning. And, okay, I know that the BIOS can be changed nowadays, but in the old days it was just put there in the computers uh, from the very beginning. It's a sort of an analogy which I'm giving there. So we can say that such emotions which are very primitive and square, very rough. They are not only matters of the astral body, but they are also things which are embedded in the etheric body and even physical elements, like can be elements of DNA or circuitry in the primitive brain, which is there from the very beginning. Fight or flight. This stupid experiment where you show to cats, by surprise, a cucumber. And the cats are jumping like they have been electrocuted because it looks like a snake. But the cats have never seen a snake before, those cats. And still they react with a fight or flight reaction immediately, instantaneously. No, So these things are embedded. They are hardwired in the system there. They are not things which are learned. And of course... Modern physiology doesn't know much things about memory, how, uh, is such DNA memory imprinted, and so on. And especially these emotions, when we study them, which emotions are like this, are emotions about survival, fear, food, sex. So you can see that they, they are mostly emotions which belong to Muladhara Chakra, Swadistaana Chakra, and very seldom Manipura chakra, some forms of fear on Manipura chakra, some forms of authority, like animals in a herd, they submit to a ruler of the herd, there is a ruler of the pack, no, and like how do they know to submit, who taught them that no, like even some manipura hierarchy can be embedded into the primitive brain. Anahata or Vishuddha, primitive emotions in the brain stem, in the reptilian brain, are present only very seldom. Like for example, many animals are kinesthetic. And they are kinesthetic ever since they are born, even from the second when they are born. So if you touch them, they calm down. If you pet a little puppy, it will stop squealing or screaming and it will be quiet. When they sleep or when they sit, they want to be near you to touch you a little bit, even on one side of the body. Animals sometimes love each other. They have signs of love, of physiological love, of this animal love to each other and other such things. So I'm not saying that they cannot exist embedded in the bios, in the hardware of the human being even some things of anahata and vishuddha i think that all the five elements are represented but i know we can see clearly that the things from muladhara svadhisthana and a little bit manipura they are the ones which are mostly present because they are the one which the ones which deal with survival and everything from this their results the most primitive ego of the human being. Some people who are not developed, like some people who can be emotionally retarded, like we know people who have the emotional age of a six-year-old kid. Those people react from the reptilian brain. They sometimes react completely, completely inconsiderately and their egoism is ferocious, is wild. No, It's like if they need to eat something because they are hungry, they would never ask the question, wait a second, is this the last slice of bread? Maybe somebody in this house will not have bread if I eat it. That's thought never crosses their mind or if it crosses their mind it is dismissed immediately like it's not important i have to eat this piece of bread because otherwise i'm going to die it's food it's survival no and therefore these emotions are emotions which generate a very primitive ego for example swami shivananda who had started studied a lot The human beings, he said when he discusses about Muladhara Chakra, he says that sometimes he noticed that even people who committed murders, they did those murders from Muladhara because of fear, because of fear of death. They were trying to cover their own fear of death by demonstrating that they have power over life and death. And thus taking the lives of other people would give them a false sentiment, primitive, irrational, of uh, survival. They died, I survived, that means I can defeat death. I've been confronted with death and I uh, defeated death. So in this way, these emotions, can we continue this or what's happening? It distracts me very much. It distracts me. I cannot speak to the world. So please stop all the technical crap. Let it be. If it's imperfect, it's imperfect. Let it be. Yeah, I'm, I'm distracted, really. I cannot. So, um, these emotions, which are the primitive ones, the real violent ones. Like I have known people who told me there was an earthquake And I ran out of the house and I completely ignored my two children and my wife. Only after my fear diminished and the earthquake stopped, then I went in the house and I was very ashamed of myself. How could I be such an egoistic animal? Try to think what's happening when people stampede on each other. There are riots or all sorts of things in Indian temples, on Mexican football stadiums and so on, where people step on each other and tens of people or more get killed. People stampede like cows. But people are not cows. But unfortunately, once you cross a certain limit in the reptilian brain, people become like cows are unable to have any decency, any considerate thought, because the reptilian brain, the amygdala and the others, they scream survival, death, danger, and people are just switching on to another me, to another I. And that I is very selfish, very primitive. The people of the modern world and the so-called civilized people, they have learned to put thoughts on it. Like they added to the brain stem, they added the cortex, the cerebrum, the brain. And in the brain you say, I'm afraid, but I have first to save my child. And then you have a struggle between two things, but the amygdala or hypothalamus or whichever they are, they don't take over. They ping, but then there is a pong. And the ping is from the primitive brain, which says, run, run, fight or flight. The fight or flight thing is typical from there. And the conscious brain, the, the cortex, says, come on, man, you can't do that. One doesn't do that. And thus, we wrap these primitive emotions when we are educated and civilized. They are still there, but even for educated and civilized people, if a certain limit is surpassed, they cannot go. They go into the black zone, they go into the fight or flight, and sometimes they do very crazy stuff. It is obvious for you to think... That such emotions, I'm talking about the primitive brain emotions, which are sometimes not only ather- uh, astral, they are etheric and even physical. They are like instincts, total brutal reactions from the physical body. You know, like somebody pricks you with a needle, you go oh! You know, It's impossible, almost impossible to have so much self-control and willpower so as to stop that. You know, and then people say, why do you do that? You know, and they say, well, man, I couldn't stop that. I was pricked with a needle, and I I had a jolt, you know, it was impossible not to. Although in hypnosis, people can be desensitized to that, and they can be pricked with a needle, and they don't feel anything, and they don't jolt, and they don't react to it. So, obviously, something can be done, but normally, I'm talking about these primitive emotions, you should realize that they have connections with astrology, like an earth sign, a fire sign, they will react totally different from to uh, the same stimulus. With karma, a person that has a bad karma, a good karma, a person that has the karma of violence and has killed a lot of people in previous lives, as compared to a person who has been a monk in a Buddhist monastery and cultivated compassion for the last 10 lifetimes and so on, there is a lot of things embedded, which we got, like when our bios in the primitive brain was written. It was written by the karma in our previous lives. So even there, there's a difference from person to person. It will have difference from temperament, like a phlegmatic person will react to pressure, emergency in another way than a choleric person. For example, airline companies prepare for pilots. People of phlegmatic temperament because when the airplane is burning they don't panic and they don't move their arms and legs too much they can take it like okay like in that silly british joke where the aristocrat calls for the butler and says john a bottle of uh, a glass of water he comes after 30 seconds he goes in the back into the study he comes back and he says john another glass of he rings you know he does this three times, at which the butler, as civilized as he is, he cannot uh, control himself, and he says, Sir, you seem to be mighty thirsty today. At which he says, nonsense, John, the library is burning. No? So he's like, this is a phlegmatic response, a typical British phlegmatic response to some emergency. And when you have a pilot in an airplane that is going bad, you need a phlegmatic, calm person can take decisions without like to be in cold blood. That cold blood is apastadva, it is the phlegmatic temperament. So it depends on astrology, karma, temperament, on the typology, on the enneagram. For example, a perfectionist will react in one way, while a uh, number four will react in another way, and a uh, number seven will react in a totally other way. It depends even on physiognomy. It is today politically incorrect to mention that, but Lombroso and others, they had studied for the police forces 150 years ago, the science of physiognomy, by which by the shape of the fingers and the aspect of the face, you could, if not 100%, at least 25%, you could determine if a certain person had criminal tendencies and was a person inclined to murder, violence, and such things. Today, it's not accepted as judicial procedure, but if you read the libraries before the progressive people, will burn down the libraries and uh, destroy all the statues which define the history of mankind because they don't like these politically incorrect things. If you will get to read those books, you will see that it was a big deal and it was considered that some things, there are books of palmistry which simply say the hand of the murderer. No, And the fingers are in a certain way. They have a certain ball-like thing on top. They are bulging in a peculiar way at the last phalanx here. No? And that's palmist decided. People have that kind of fingers. They are more prone to commit murder than others. So we have to say from the very beginning that certain such emotions astrological, typology, temperament and the others even karmic, they must be allowed to manifest and they must be channeled wisely. Like, for example, it is a study, one of the many, many studies revealed by Alan and Barbara Peace in their books about relationships and male nature, female nature, that, for example, if you go to a hotel room or just another, and if the man does not sleep in the bed which is closest to the door, then the man has worse sleep. Like, technically, men are programmed that if they go in a cave or in a new house... They will sleep near the door for two reasons. One, to protect the woman and the children. Two, if the things get too difficult to run. Yeah? And the primitive brain knows this. And as much as you try to culture it and civilize it, scientific research says if you take a man and a woman and put them the other way around in a room, in a hotel room, the men are having a 30% worse sleep. Because of that. Because they don't sleep where Mother Nature has programmed them to sleep. And therefore, it's a stupid thing not to sleep in the right bed as a man. When you know this, you have to sleep where you have to sleep simply for the peace of your mind. Because you have inside you a reptilian brain which you do not control. Can you defeat it? Yes, by self-suggestion, by self-hypnosis, by different things. Of course you can, but who goes to such lengths as to reprogram their primitive brain? And therefore, some of these things must be allowed to happen. Today... The fact that men don't want to follow the dharma of being men. And today the fact that women don't want to follow the dharma of being women. And we are looking at all this artificiality about a lot of things. A lot of things. no? Like we say uh, in the... We have the gathering of the animals in the forest. And we say in the leadership, the rabbits... Are not being represented. There has to be a rabbit. In the board of directors. But the rabbits don't have any power of decision. In the nature. They are the last link. On the food chain. You know They don't decide anything. So basically. Mother nature has made that. If you are born a rabbit. You should not have decisional power. If you force it. It becomes artificial. It can be done. We should have a person who is like this and like this, who takes decisions. That's not the way nature has made it. We contradict the laws of nature. And therefore, some emotions must be allowed to manifest, and they must be wisely channeled. I had a teacher in chiropractic who was a monk, and he was a Sagittarius. In my life, I have seen it very often. Sagittarius, especially men, when they get old, either they are spiritual or they are not spiritual, they become extremely agitated and frustrated. I could give you a ton of examples right now, but I'm not going to do it. Study it for yourselves. See which men, Sagittarius men, have you known in history getting old? From Timothy Leary to... David Carradine or whatever, you know, different ones. What did they do? How did they die? How did they behave when they passed over 50 years of age? That's because Sagittarius is fire. It has a good manipura. It's very dynamic. It's the fastest manipura. And it needs a lot of movement and it needs a lot of action. And when you get to be 60 years old and nobody gives a damn on you, because you are retired or whatever, and you discover that you fucked up your life and you didn't do anything with your life, then that desperation is one thing for a, I don't know, a phlegmatic Scorpio who will try to cover it with sex and booze, and it's another thing for a Sagittarius who will go in an open market and start shouting, raving, hitting people, doing God knows what, because of the frustration which is there. This teacher in chiropractic, he was a monk. He was by far the most dynamic, strong, and aggressive exorcist that I have seen in my life. Regular exorcists There, because I've known regular ones, a couple of them, they maximum dared to do one exorcism per week, and in special conditions. I have seen my teacher in chiropractic doing even five exorcisms per day. Full on. Full on. Therefore, this man simply became... Because he was in a monastery, and the life in the monastery were, was way too soft for him. He had to make it in the fast lane. no? So his primitive brain was uh, requiring something strong. Battle. He had to be a soldier. So every day he was fighting the devil. When he died, they found him on the floor with his hip bone broken. And he said that because he did six months of something very special, some spiritual work which was absolutely amazing, the devil came in the night and threw him from the bed to the floor and broke his hip bone. And then he lied down with that hip bone broken. He was 90 years old. He lied down for one month and then, he, in agony, of course, and then he died. No? Like he was requiring extreme Life. This guy, if he was not in the fast lane, even in a Christian monastery, he was dying of boredom. He was feeling unused. He was feeling like he was not fulfilling the goals of the life. That's why I want to insist, because it may seem in some things which I say that I preach emotional suppression. I don't. I'm perfectly aware that some emotional needs must be fulfilled. But they must be wisely channeled. Wisely channeled. And then they can become a strength. Then they are strong horses. Which pull in the right direction. This is the use of knowing astrology. Your temperament. Enneagram. And other such things. Type, or different typologies. So that you know what you are good for. And what you are strong at. And what you should do. Like, for example, I have looked in my horoscope when I was 20 years of age and I discovered that I have a triple Mercurian influence. Mercury is exalted and highlighted three times over in my horoscope. I don't know anybody else, by the way, around me who has this triple Mercurian influence. So, what do I do? I do a Mercurian thing. Yeah, because Mercury is the messenger of the gods. That's what I'm good at. I'm good at transmitting you knowledge. I'm a messenger. No, I can dissipate knowledge very clearly and very well. Simply because I'm Mercurian. What about my Mars? My Mars is in a bad position. So as a warrior, I'm not good. Not in this life at least. I understand what it is, but I'm not good at it. So that's why you never see me trying to make too much war. Because I've discovered when I was 20 years old that I'm not good at it. That's not my strength in this life. No? So that's why when I'm having some aggression things, I can talk about it, I can blurt about it, but I'm not going into action. No? I'm not doing things simply because that's an emotion which I don't want to manifest as an action or to have action as a result of that. So, the primitive emotions, some of them have to be manifested. Like if a person is an air sign, they need to move a lot. If they don't move air signs, if they don't move, they choke. No? So they have to fly like the birds. Look at the birds. No? Even the chickens, even the hens. They don't sit quiet for one second. Constantly, you know, they are the most restless, you know, of all of them. You know, so it's like, for example, you would recommend the uh, air person not to sit half an hour in Paschimottanasana, but to do half an hour of sun salutations, because it's more movement, it's more the expressing the air element. Of course, I'm superficial. I'm going on the surface of this. On the other hand, other emotions of the human being, they are an, a, what we could call an acquired taste. Like there are things which come from the family, mother, father, of course, the psychological obsession with mom and dad, which is not totally wrong, from the school, from the society. You know? Some people have been subjected to different experiences and they learn to react in a certain way. Now, try to think. No. People are taught a certain sexual thing. You saw your parents having abundant sex, being shameless, having multiple partners, and so on. Then you will grow one way. You have seen your parents being totally blocked about sex, not talking, not touching each other, not this, not that, not leeching you, anything. Then you grow with a certain shyness or embarrassment about it. It's just a superficial example again. Of course, that when talking about acquired emotions, here also the dominant chakra, the karma that you have, the typology, they also play a causal role. Like you are going to get a Sagittarius to be denied on sex, then the Sagittarian will react violently, aggressively, fiery. And you are going to get a Cancerian or a Virgo to be denied sex. And then they are going to be extremely shy, reserved, going into a hole, and other such things will be there. And therefore, two different people subjected to the same, like a brother and a sister, or two brothers, who are in completely different astrological signs. They grow in the same family, they go to the same school, pretty much the environment, they watch the same television, pretty much the environment is the same, and they grow up to be two very different persons. I know such brothers, grown up in the same family, who became totally different from each other, and no major event had happened in the life of one of them to produce that. But from the very beginning, they had a very different karma, a very different dominant chakra, and all that. And nowadays, these emo- even these acquired emotions, okay, the primitive ones, what can you do if you are afraid of an earthquake? Well, you see that in Japan, they have learned to tame this fear, simply because they have a lot of earthquakes. And everybody experiencing a hundred earthquakes, at least in a lifetime, and then people up, up till a certain level, at least, they you know they sit in a building. The building is shaking. You know, other people jumped out of the window, like in the twin towers. You know, they did whatever. You no, know? and uh, it's possible to educate even the primitive ones. But these second degree emotions, the more light ones, not the ones embedded in the brain. They are allowed to unfold more freely, although it is much easier to control and channel these emotions, because these emotions are acquired culturally, psychologically, and they could be moved more easily than to move your fear of death by crushing your claustrophobic fear of being crushed in an earthquake. That one is very difficult to remove, no, because it's you know it comes in such terrible ways maybe in the, your previous two lives you died crashed in an earthquake and now you are having a fear which is embedded in your reptilian brain so a simple observation shows that until about 60 years ago people were much more stoic when dealing with their emotions stoicism is a greek philosophy which means when things go to shit you endure like, for example, marriages are almost never functioning. Long-term relationships, they produce quarrel. Many couples know and they say, yesterday we had our first quarrel. No, like, can you please have zero? Never? Ever? No, Oh, it's not possible. You don't know what you're talking about. No, it's not true. That's not true. You are imagining that Romeo and Juliet or whatever, twin souls, as we were talking the other day, they have to quarrel. No, they don't. They don't. That's because people can't find a way without violence and frustration, and they think that everybody has to be the same. It's like a matter of envy, you know. Ah, You can't do it. We are just human beings and all that. So... People were much more stoic. Try to think that people were not breaking marriages. And in those marriages people were imprisoned. And they were not happy. And people stayed like this until the day they died. And there was a heavy yoke on their shoulders. And they just endured it. So this capacity to endure... Why? Because of various factors. Because of peer pressure, because the whole village will despise you if you divorce or something. Because of coercion, like some people felt like doing this and that, and somebody beat them up or put them in prison or something, and they were coerced to do this. Because of the law, you know? Like if you know that if you do witchcraft, you are going to be burned by the Catholic Church at stake. How many people would practice witchcraft? Today, many countries are full of Wiccans. The Wicca religion, you know, this Celtic, whatever. You know, which is a cult of nature and a sort of a witchcraft. But these Wiccans people, 200 years ago, and there was very few of them. Simply because if you did it, and the neighbor saw you, they went to the priest, they complained, then the Inquisition will come, Then it was the end of your life. So people had to take into account these factors if they did it and how much they did it and so on. So until about 60 years ago, there existed a sort of decency. Like you don't show your emotions, you don't blurt out, you don't that 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 You know, you don't make a fool out of yourself in public. You don't do it. like you have to behave decently because your mom would disapprove of you, your dad would, do, your grandparents would disapprove, your schoolmates would disapprove, the whole environment would disapprove. It's not okay. The police will disapprove. This and that will disapprove, and so on. No, try to think uh, just about the uh, gay culture. How many people were showing homosexual feelings in public a hundred years ago? Even the guy who invented, who discovered the Nazi code in the Second World War. There is this movie about him made recently. No? He was homosexual. He was not showing it. He was arrested by the police. He had a very sad story in the late years. No? Although he was a war hero. He was one of the persons who helped win the Second World War by Great Britain. And the Allies in general. So, we had people suppressing, holding, controlling. And then after the 60s and so on, people started gradually releasing things. Again, in the 60s, they wouldn't have released some things which they released in the 90s, or in the 2000s, or others like this. So it was not all in the 60s. It was gradually opening and opening and opening. Nowadays, therefore, this thing with the emotions, it seems more free. But it is a hypocrisy. And uh, there are limits. Limits given by the law, by politics, by police, by political correctness. You go in America and the policeman stops you and says, Sir, please step out of the car. Fuck you, I'm grumpy, it's been the fuck away. No, you cannot do that. Because they will beat the shit out of you. They will put the knee on your neck and they will suffocate like they did with that poor black guy. No, like you cannot. It's a fallacy, it's a lie to say that you do what you want and you are free. You are free up till a certain point and then the law is coming. no. I, I hate the Chinese people because they came to my country and they took all the good jobs. All the bank managers, all the CEOs, all these, they are fucking Chinese immigrants. I detest them, you know. You cannot say that. It's politically incorrect. It becomes racism. It becomes other things, you know. But that's how I feel. That's my emotion. You know? Then what to do? To express or not to express? So even today... People do not express a lot of things, and some express them because it's okay, there are not too many consequences out of it. No, the consequences could have been different a hundred years ago. A woman freely expressing her antagonistic emotions to her husband a hundred years ago would have resulted into a severe beating. Today, the woman doesn't get that beating because she's protected by the law. And therefore, she does it freely. Today, women do scandals hundred times more than a hundred years ago. Simply because there will be no consequences. There is no exact law which says if a man hits a woman... He is put in prison and she has a restraining order against him. But if a woman makes a big scandal to a man and calls him a pig and whatever, there is no prison for her for that. And there is no restraining order for that. You know. So in this way, that's why I'm saying, try to think that the world in which we live is not at all free. Not at all free. You steal money, you get punished. But I wanted that, uh, um, I don't know sweet thing. I wanted the marshmallow. Even if you wanted the marshmallow, you cannot steal it if you don't have money for it. And therefore it's a lie. We live in a very in a world full of hypocrisy where it gives the feeling that, oh, it's free to express your emotions. We are not stuck up like a hundred years ago but actually there is a limit. Just the limit has been moved a little bit in some domains and then when you cross that limit, you know, what would be to go into a protocol meeting with the Queen of England and to do like this? <laughs> no? It's simply like you don't do it, and if you feel like doing it, you simply refrain and don't do it. And a lot of you if you feel like scratching your bum, you know, you don't scratch your bum in front of the President of the United States, you know? Because there will be consequences. So people still When there are consequences, people are controlling. But for a lot of emotions, the consequences have been taken away. People witnessing a hard rock Metallica concert and people taking LSD and going on hard rock music, they would have said that 100 years ago, if you would bring them with a time machine, they would say that those people are possessed by the demons and the church should intervene. Today... It's okay to behave like a Satanist of different degrees. Nobody intervenes in any way, no, even if you look like you are possessed by demons. It is excusable by some things. There is a wonderful movie, documentary, it's half movie, half documentary, which is called The Mysteries of the Organism, which is uh, made by a Serbian filmmaker in the 70s about the work of Wilhelm Reich and the Reichian therapy with sex emotions. And this, the, the continuation of Freud and Jung, is very much probably the third in line after Freud and Jung, is considered to be Dr. Wilhelm Reich, and then Adler and others in the modern psychology. And uh, Alexander Leuven continued some of his work and so on. And, uh, Really, there are scenes with some men and women who make a Reichian therapy to remove some sexual blockages. And if you look like a person who just parachuted from the 19th century, those people look like directly coming from hell. They look like having a psychedelic experience in hell. But it's not. It's a Reichian psychotherapy. But why does the Reiki and therapy encourage people to go into something which very much looks like hell, looks like being tormented by demons? Does that have really a therapeutical effect? Or there is a lot of experimental stuff there which is not proven one way or the other. That's why I'm telling you that nowadays there is only an impression, and that impression is conveniently In some directions, you know, like young people are okay to show satanic, satanistic moods. And 100 years ago or 200 years ago, the church would not have allowed that to happen. Or religion, the Buddhist religion would not have allowed that to happen. Nobody. Today, it is kind of allowed to happen. Although in the moment when you step on the toes of the police or of the law or something, then suddenly you see that there is still coercion and that we teach children there is no coercion. And then when they get 18 years old and they do something, the police takes them, beats them, books them, puts them in prison or something. And the child says, I didn't realize that life was like that. Because it was not shown from an early age that there are restrictions and not all your emotions and not all your behavior is welcome. Therefore, I wrote here as idea the following sentence that the fallacy, which means error, the grave error of the modern psychology is to justify emotional permissiveness under the excuse of suppression. Oh, yeah, but if you don't do that, you suppress it and you can get more Crazy, But guess what? Mozart and Bach and Beethoven and Wagner have been grown up in suppressive environments. And Tchaikovsky and and Maurice Ravel, and and they composed fantastically beautiful music. Guess what? Both Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and uh, Goethe and uh, whatever, let's give a British or French one, Honoré de Balzac or... D.H. Lawrence, they have been grown up in environments which are very suppressive, and they still did a lot of literature, a lot of music, a lot of science, a lot of this and a lot of that. So, this theory that somehow um, you have to not suppress because it's completely, it seems to be completely erroneous the results of this education in the last 50 years in the West have been absolutely disastrous. When you see that the monstrosities which develop in the American school system or in the French school system or whatever, you are saying, is this the result of emotional management? No, like, this is very, it looks very, very erroneous. Now, in the astral body, we are talking about patterns of flow of the energy. Exactly like the nadis, or if you want an analogy, like the flow of water in the physical world. Here in front of my house, because it's been raining for the last one week, you can see channels dug by the water. And when it rains again tomorrow, if it rains again tomorrow, the water will go exactly in the same channel. Because it's lower. It's a valley. It's a dent. So if the energy runs to the same place. And for example you are used to uh, solve your problems by shouting. Then tomorrow you will shout again. Because that's where the energy is flowing. The energy is used to flow in those channels. And therefore the question is. Because we always see things from an energetical standpoint in yoga. It is how to change such patterns, not by suppressing, change them, to transform them wisely, to channel the energy where it has to go, how to channel them by using the body, the prana, and the mind, both in its lower form, which is the actual emotional body, the astral body, but even the higher mind, because sometimes the higher mind has a word to say, I want to develop unconditional universal love, I have not learned unconditional universal love from my family, from my school, from the society in which I grew up. And therefore I have to learn to love in a different way. And one of the aspects of me loving in a different way is, for example, not to be jealous. Jealousy is not a sign of universal love. We cannot say that Jesus was jealous or you no, know, because some people loved him more and some people loved him less, or why or because a husband loved his wife more than he loved him or you know, some shit like that. And therefore, how to develop that? So that's where the mind, the higher mind, the fourth body, kosha, the mental body, where it also plays a role. Because it simply says, Now I am about to feel this, now I'm about to be depressed like it, but I don't accept it. It's unacceptable. It doesn't fit with my philosophy of life. Like the physical body has something to say. The etheric body has something to say. A lot is happening in the astral body. And also the mental body plays a role as well. So now that we spoke about, we analyzed these emotions in various ways. Let's look a little bit for the short time which we have and in the solutions. And maybe I will develop that because I see that the time is getting late. I'm going to just list them briefly. And perhaps next week, if I do a new satsang next week, then I'll try to go into the practicalities of this. There are generally four major solutions. One of them, which is outlined in the Yoga Sutra, and which is the one which I spoke about, and which is the very idealistic one, and many modern people don't even believe it's possible anymore, which is of course erroneous, it's just the lazy option, because it takes some work, is cultivating the opposite emotion. The problem is that sometimes you don't know what the opposite emotion is. Like I don't know right now, to tell you some emotion, for which I cannot tell you the exact opposite. If you are stingy with the money, you can cultivate generosity. Miserliness and generosity are definitely opposite to each other. But some are not so clear what is the opposite of this or of that. I don't want to go into details right now. And how do you cultivate the opposite emotion and so on in practice? The second major solution is cultivating another emotion, like allopathic medicine. I don't know if you know that. Allopathic, allo means something else. So basically you have a flu and we give you a diarrhea. So you change the flu for diarrhea. That's why allopathic medication has so many side effects Because it's supposed to have side effects. It's supposed to channel your thing into something else. Not to cancel it. Only the opposite emotion is like a mirror and it cancels. But allopathic medicine cannot find the exact opposite effect. High blood pressure, lowering the blood pressure. High temperature of the body, lowering the temperature. With some it's possible, but with some it's not. And then the very name of the allopathic medicine is to search to divert the energy of the disease into something else. And for example, some people think that, uh, let's say, Buddhist monks, or others, but Buddhist monks are very classic for this, have no emotions. But they just favor other emotions. They favor their aspiration. They favor their desire for freedom. They fa- f- favor their fear of death. Or others. And they say, if I give in to this emotion that I'm horny, then I will not reach nirvana. And because I want to reach nirvana, then I will not go horny. I forbid myself to be horny. Or not to be afraid. Or not to be angry. Or not to be depressed. Uh, I feel like today I'm not going to do my vipassana. And then a voice in your head says, if you don't do your vipassana, how will you reach nirvana? You lazy bum. No? And when you die, what will happen to you, you imbecile? Aren't you afraid that death is coming? And then my fear of death... And my desire for nirvana are stronger emotions. They are also emotions. But they are emotions which are stronger than my temptation to be lazy. And then, so this other, another path is to replace it with other emotions. Like aspiration, longing for freedom, for moksha or mukti. Longer for longing for nirvana. Even being afraid of death. No, in Christianity they say... Uh, Oscar is a God-fearing man. And that's supposed to be a quality. Like you say, oh, Oscar is a chicken. He's afraid of God. No, man, everybody should be afraid of God. Because you have good reason to be afraid of God. Only when you reach like St. John, I forgot what was his name, one of the Johns who was from the Fathers of the Desert, he said, I'm no longer afraid of God because now I love him. Ah, if you have reached to love, then you don't need to be a God fearing person because love is so much superior that it will not allow you to do something wrong. And so that's the second alternative. The third alternative is exploding the emotions by using the tantric methods like provoking so much fear so that you'll never be afraid of g- again. But that's a super dangerous method. And the fourth alternative is satisfying those emotions wisely, like we do with sexuality in Tantra. Okay, you know what, you've been, like some of you who are listening to this lecture, if you are looking in the mirror and if you are sincere, you will say, uh, ever since I was a teenager, I discovered that I had an absolutely insane sexual desire and an insane sexual energy. Not everybody can say that. But some people can. No. And then there is a way of dealing with that. In saying here. If you practice Brahmacharya. You can have as much sex as you want. 15 times per day. If you want you can have it. As long as Brahmacharya is respected. And in that way what will happen? Well you'll do it and do it and do it and do it. And after 20 years of doing it. There will start appearing a sort of saturation. A sort of a peace. Like, man, I've done it, you know, don't you miss it? Man, just this morning, I was riding hard, you know. It's like, and I know tomorrow I'm strong on it. It's like, am I missing it? No, actually, if you tell me you could go three days on a lonely island and be at peace, I would say, I think it would be a nice break for a change, you know. And in that way, you get a person who is sexually hyperactive, to actually reach the state where they become shanti, shanti. Now there is peace. There is nothing. You no, know, there is no pressure whatsoever. And in this way, there are ways of dealing both with the primitive emotions, the hardware emotions from the primitive brain, and with the emotions which have been added later through different things such as family education, uh, school television, media, plus events of life, many, many events of life. So I'm stopping here in the middle of this so that I give you time to get home before the lockdown takes over. And probably I feel that next week I want to develop to go into practical modalities. What does it mean? How? What do concretely are those four ways of dealing with emotion? Like how does one actually do it, because I feel that there is a need to give away to deal with the emotions. I really have seen, and especially coming from Eastern Europe in the 1980s, and now being in an international uh, party place like this one where we are in the 2020s, uh, I feel so many difference. I feel that so many things have changed, and the management of the emotions is really a tragedy in the world of today, and a lot of misunderstandings are happening there. So I would say let's stop for tonight. It's been uh, good enough that we analyzed the environment first. Thank you all for joining. And if everything goes well, next week we'll talk about the paths to take in dealing with